is obviously Ruth uh, becomes a mother at the end of the book. Also, uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, was obviously a mother as well. Uh, so we're going to be reading this morning uh, Ruth chapter 13, or excuse me, chapter 4. There are only four chapters, but verses um, 13 uh, to 21 of Ruth uh, chapter 4. Uh, listen then to the word of God. For Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a Excuse me, and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter in law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and and laid him on her lap and and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered uh, Aminadad. Aminadad fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just thank you for your day, this day. We thank you for your goodness and your, your kindness and your great love for us. We thank you for your compassion and mercy. We thank you for mothers, that motherhood is precious to you, that you have given us mothers uh, to be a part of your purpose. You have given us uh, women Ladies, that we might honor them, that we might cherish them, that they might be uh, a part of your plan, made uh, in the image of God. And that is precious, Lord. And so, Lord, we want to come into your presence and be reminded of your goodness. We want to be a people uh, who honor you and delight in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Today is, is Mother's Day, obviously. And uh, I'll just maybe make a, a little confession. Sometimes Mother's Day, I think, is, is one of the hardest days to preach because there are, you know, a number of mothers in Scripture and you, you struggle with uh, picking, okay, which mother do I preach from? And we all have our favorite mothers in Scripture. And the obvious one is Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus. And, uh, but then after a while, uh, you start to feel like you run out of mothers to preach on because you start, well, I preached on that one. Do I go back to that one again? So actually being here, this is my first Mother's Day here at this church, so I've never done any of these mothers for, for you. So, uh, but in maybe 10 years, I, I might have to repeat uh, the book of Ruth or, or something like that. Ruth is one of my, uh, I, I love the story of, of the book of Ruth because I love how it points uh, to the coming of Jesus. I love how the book ends with just this upward triumph of hope uh, because of uh, Boaz giving birth to o- Obed and Obed giving birth to Jesse and Jesse fathering 
uh, a son uh, who is David. So there, there's this clear direction. And, or the book of Ruth is not just a random story that is thrown into Scripture. It, it fits as, as part of a bigger picture. Mother's Day can be tough for, for some people. Some who maybe have lost their mother, it can be tough for. It can be tough for ladies who are mothers and have, have lost a child, and, and that can be extremely difficult. It can also be very hard on, on ladies who, who long to be mothers uh, and for various reasons uh, are not able to do that or have not uh, done that. So Mother's Day, it can be a, a joyous day, but for those reasons it can also be a hard uh, day to preach because you feel like you, you want to say something for everyone uh, that is in the room, and there can be such a, a diversity of, of experience and, and joy and sadness mixed in uh, with this holiday. The book of Ruth is great for that. The book of Ruth actually starts out with, with great sorrow in the life of Naomi. And, and as we go through the book of Ruth, it moves not only to a triumph of, of Ruth being this faithful daughter-in-law. Uh, you know, it, it's like if Naomi would have picked them, she couldn't have picked them any better than Ruth. But it really is a triumph of the faithfulness of God. So our main point this morning is simply that, that great women honor the Lord for his faithful grace. So at the end of the book of Ruth, you have this, uh, all the ladies are, are getting together. You know how ladies are when a baby is born. Everybody uh, gathers around and they go, oh, oh, so cute. And they all pinch the little cheeks and pat the bottom and, and cuddle it. And, and then these ladies say to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. So these ladies turn it into a sort of uh, impromptu worship service. Great women then honor the Lord for his faithful grace. The book of Ruth is not primarily about the goodness of Ruth uh, or even the goodness of Naomi, but it's about the faithfulness of God. And without uh, going through every minute detail in the book of Ruth, I want to try to draw out some of the big picture of of Ruth. And my hope today uh, that if you're a mother or have mothers, you would be encouraged and thankful. But regardless of where you're from or what your situations are or, or what you're thinking about this Mother's Day, I hope we walk away with a picture of the faithfulness of God. Anybody in this life, mother, father, brother, sister, friend, anyone can fail us. But God in his faithfulness does not fail. And when we walk away from God, God often in his grace draws us back uh, to him and does not abandon those who belong to him. So we start out this morning and we see that the Lord does not abandon mothers and women even in their sorrows. So Naomi is a woman who has experienced tremendous sorrow in her life. Uh, If you'd flip back with me to chapter 1 we see that the story begins, the events of Ruth begin when there's a famine in the land. So Naomi and her family experience famine. In the days when the judges ruled, so this is during the time of of the book of Judges, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man in Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, 
you have to sort of understand a little bit of the background here. One, when there was a famine in the land, according to the book of Deuteronomy, it was because of the sins of the people. And in the book of Judges, there's sort of this downward spiral of the people of God where they walk away from God. Uh, There's famine, or oftentimes in the book of Judges, there's enemies in the land, the Philistines and various Canaanites who begin to triumph. Then the people of God get to their worst, and they cry out to God, and God sends a judge, and there's a period of repentance, and they kind of go back to being well. But then the cycle starts over again. It becomes this downward spiral, and this is what is going on at that time. So at one point, when there's a famine in the land, uh, this man, his wife, and they have two sons, they leave the land. The second background piece is leaving the land was a big no-no. This wasn't like just in our day and age where we might relocate for a job and it's no big deal. God had given the land to the people of God as part of his promise. It was a gift of grace. It was a reminder of the future inheritance that we as the saints of God will have one day. And so leaving the land is, is kind of like spurning the grace of God. Instead of repenting, instead of crying out to God, instead of saying, help me in my needs as the people of God were supposed to do, uh, Naomi's husband and her pack up and leave. God had given them in the land a specific heritage. Every family had a specific area, a portion of land that was passed on from generation to generation. And, and it was a reminder of the gifts and grace of God that he brought them out of Egypt. And one of the commands in Scripture was, don't ever go back to Egypt. They don't go back to Egypt, but they go down to, to the land of the Moabites, uh, which are pagans. So it's kind of like leaving a, a good church where you have a stable community, where the people around you should at least be loving God. Uh, they weren't always doing that, obviously. And it's, it's like walking into a, a community, a neighborhood where everybody is pagan and not worshiping God and thinking, hey, we will be able to thrive there. They are, in, in effect, spurning the gifts that God had given them and walking away from him. Naomi and her husband walk away from God by leaving the promised land. Naomi and her sons then walk away from the Lord by marrying Moabite women. Look at verses 3 and 4. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And when she was left with her two sons, then these took Moabite wives. And the name of one was Orpah, uh, not to be confused with Oprah. Uh, It looks almost the same there. She's Orpah, and the name of the other uh, was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Now, Scripture had commanded in Deuteronomy 23, no Amabite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. Um, They were not, Israelites were not to go out and marry uh, Moabite women. And the reason being, it it had nothing to do with race. Uh, This wasn't a racial thing. Uh, it, It wasn't like some of the issues that we face in our day with race and segregation. The simple reason was, Uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites did not worship the Lord. And so Scripture tells the believer in the New Testament, don't be unequally yoked. Don't go out and marry an an unbeliever. Uh, It just creates all kinds of problems uh, down the road. And so, in effect, what Naomi does, her husband dies, so she has uh, 
very little means of providing for herself. She has two sons, and so she says, well, we're down here, we're staying here, you might as well go and get married, settle down. It is, again, a spurning of God and his commands. It's, it's like telling uh, your children, go out, go ahead, go marry uh, an unbeliever. It's dangerous, and it's a walking away from her, her uh, Lord and Savior. Naomi then suffers when she loses her two sons. Verse 5, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Without any sons, then Naomi would have no one to inherit her portion in the promised land. She would die childless. And it is painful in our day and age when a woman loses a child. Even more in that day and age where where sons would be the ones who would inherit, where you would pass on your heritage, your land, your, the gifts that God had given you through the son. They would, they would carry on the family name. It is a tragedy that Naomi loses her sons. In this case, we get a sense that this is the discipline of the Lord. The family had went down and walked away from the Lord. But you know, there's hope in this story. There's hope for us when we wander away from the Lord that we can still experience the grace of God. So, so we have this movement in the passage where, where Naomi walks away from the Lord and yet the Lord is going to reach out and show her grace. That happens to many of us in our lives. Before we were saved, we were walking away from the Lord. But sometimes some of us, even as Christians, we go through this period where we, where we backslide, where we walk away from the Lord. And the Lord is faithful in drawing us back to Him if we belong to Him. He brings us through a period of repentance and, and walks with us and calls us again. And this is what we see going on. The first thing that happens is, is Ruth... Uh, this Moabite woman, in, a, in effect, becomes a believer. Now, Scripture doesn't record for us a, a you know, conversion prayer of some sort, but, but I do think that's what happens. If you look down, starting in verse 15. Uh, so Naomi is going to go back to the land, and she says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back. Oh, by the way, yeah, let me paint the setting here a little bit, because I'm just picking out verses Uh, Hopefully we know the whole story, but let me just back up a little bit. So Naomi is ready to go back, and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpha and Ruth, start to go back to the land with her. And they say, okay, we'll go with you. And and Naomi says, look, I I am in this sorrowful situation. My my life isn't going to come to anything. I have no more sons that you can marry. If, If you come up here with me, there's no hope of you ever getting married and having kids. Go back to to the Moabite land. Go back to where your people are uh, and remarry. And and Orpha, being released from her commitment to Naomi, says, okay, I'm I'm going to do that. I don't think that was necessarily wrong because Naomi had released her. But Ruth does something even more right, does something even more sacrificial. And she says, I'm going with you. So then we pick up in verse 15, and she said, uh, this is Naomi speaking, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. 
Uh, notice that there, her people and her gods, and return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. When you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me more also, if anything but death parts me from you. This is Naomi professing, or excuse me, Ruth professing allegiance to Naomi. But even more, Ruth is converting to the living and true God. When she says, may the Lord do so more to me, she uses the, the, the sacred name of God, Jehovah or, or Yahweh, that, that special name. This is, in effect, a confession of faith. The, the great uh, covenant between God and Israel is when God says, I will be your God and you shall be my people. It's, it's like a, a marriage ceremony moment. Where, where the husband and wife say, I promise myself to you. God says, you'll be my people, and I'll be your God. And Naomi takes that kind of language and, and says to, to, excuse me, Ruth takes that kind of language and says to Naomi, your people shall be my people. But even more, she says, and your God will be my God. She professes faith in the living and true God. She says, I am not going back to my gods in Moabite, in the Moabite people, but I am going to be with you and I am going to serve the living and true God. This is amazing. This is a picture of the grace of God. Naomi and her husband did all the wrong things going down there. Uh, allowing their children, their sons, to, to marry an unbeliever. But the grace of God was even more than the sins of Naomi and her husband. And Ruth got saved. Sometimes God works not because of what we do, but in spite of what we do. We do something horrible. Maybe we marry an unbeliever. Maybe we get ourselves into some kind of trouble. Maybe we even uh, end up in prison or jail or with lifelong consequences because of something that we did when we were young or something that we did uh, when we were foolish. And, and God, rather than, than continually punishing us, takes that and works it into good in our lives. Maybe we have a child out of wedlock. We engage in some kind of sexual immorality. And the Lord allows a child to come into our life. And that child is precious because it's made in the image of God. And so the Lord brings about a good and wonderful blessing in our lives because of something that we along the way did wrong. The Lord often does that. He works good, not because he's, he's approving of the sin that we did, but His grace is greater than all of our sins. The story ends with the ultimate picture of the grace of God in Naomi's life. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz get married. And Ruth and Boaz has a, have a son. 
So Naomi once again has a grandson to pass on the heritage, to pass on the family line. In the end of the story, we see Naomi and Ruth as mothers who honor and praise the Lord. We all, I think, wrestle with where is God when we sin? Will the grace of God, I've fallen away in sin, I've stumbled, I've struggled in some way, and we get to that moment and we go, will the grace of God be there again when I cry out? I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've done, but will you show me grace? And the answer in the book of Ruth is yes, because God's grace is greater than our sin. I have four ways this morning on Mother's Day that we can acknowledge uh, the grace of God and, and praise and honor God in our lives. First, praise the Lord because he works for good even when we sin. You see, God's faithfulness in our lives is, is not dependent upon us and how good we are. So many times, and, and, and in, I've been guilty of this in, in my life, we, we treat our relationship with God uh, like sort of a, a trade-off. Like if I do something good for God, God will do something good for me. And then we assume that, that the reverse is true. Well, if I do something bad for God, uh, then God will do something bad uh, to me. Uh, it, it's sort of a, a tit-for-tat kind of approach. It's, it's really a, a cheapening of, of our relationship with God because our own human parents don't treat us that way. Our own human parents will love us even when we mess up or when we make mistakes or when we sin. God doesn't tolerate sin. But he loves us even when we sin. And so God's grace abounds, Paul says in Scripture. Where sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. God is not this this mean, evil deity sitting up there in heaven on the edge of his seat waiting for us to make a mistake so he can zap us. He does often discipline his children when they stumble in sin. But he's this gracious and loving father who, who draws us back in. I don't know if any of you had experiences like that when, with, with your parents, but I can remember times with my father and, and with my mother as a child where I would do something dumb, do something stupid, and, and it would be, the, in my mind, it would be the end of the world. And, and I remember one occasion, or actually it probably happened a couple different times, where, where I had done something wrong and I, I was convicted and scared that I was going to get in trouble. So I had this, this great idea that if I, could, if I could hide what I had done wrong, if I could lie about it, and, and if they never found out because I didn't want to let them down and I didn't want to get in trouble, everything would be okay. Of course, you, you know what happens when parents actually do find out. Uh, not only do you get in trouble for what you did, you get in trouble for lying and, and covering it up. And, and my parents at batteries dying, I remember them telling me that if I just would have come clean, if I would have asked for forgiveness, there might have been some consequences, but there certainly would have been grace. And on a far greater scale, God is like that. There are sometimes consequences that, that we need to go through because of our sins. But when we come to the Lord, 
when we're repentant, when we acknowledge our wrongdoing, the Lord shows His grace and mercy in us. Naomi is like this. She falls into sin. She, she stumbles and, and walks away from the Lord. And, and she's at a point in her life where, where she wonders if, if God is going to be faithful. And she recognizes what God has done. And yet God draws her back and removes the shame of her sins. Can you imagine what Naomi felt like walking back into uh, the land of Israel? She went away with a husband and two sons. And now she comes back as a widow. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? Oh, Naomi, you went down there so you could have the good life and look what God did to you now. Let me ask you this as sort of an application for the life of our church. How do we treat people when they fall into sin, but they come back to church because they want to experience the grace of God again? Because they want to to be repentant. Or they are showing repentance. What's interesting to me in the story of, of the book of Ruth is Boaz never holds it over Ruth or Naomi, their past sins, or who they used to be. It's a reminder to us that if we're going to be the people of God, we need to love people and rejoice when they experience the grace of God despite what has ever happened to them. Second, in terms of how we can praise the Lord this morning. So first, we can praise Him that that His grace abounds even where our sin abounds. His grace abounds even more. Second, we can praise the Lord every day because He has compassion upon our deepest hurts. Turn with me to chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. I I, I just want you to get a sense of, of the pain. Let me start in in verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi is a name in Hebrew that means pleasant. And she's saying, I'm not pleasant anymore. Mara is a name that would mean bitter. And she says, in effect, the Lord has visited me with bitterness because of what I have done. Verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought this calamity upon me? I think this is Naomi's moment of repentance. She recognizes what the Lord has done. She recognizes that she is the one who went away. And now she's coming back empty because the Lord has done this. She doesn't say it in so many words, but I think there is a sense here that Naomi understands that what the Lord did was right and what she did was wrong. But she has this hurt and the Lord is going to comfort her and show grace. 
Scripture says in 2 Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any afflictions with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In Naomi's circumstances, her sorrow came because of some sort of discipline. But there are other sorrows that we go through in this life that aren't because we did anything wrong. You think of Job. You think of the young David being chased around by Saul. And what had David done wrong? Nothing. He'd been faithful to the Lord, and yet people are trying to kill him. Sometimes we face tragedies in our life. Loss of a child. Loss of an unborn baby. Loss of a mother, a father, a friend. Loss of a job. And we've done nothing wrong that should deserve these things. It's not the hand of the Lord, and, or it's not the disciplining hand of the Lord. And we are in these moments of great sorrow and calamity. We need to remember the words of Second Corinthians. That God is a God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Naomi's life is, is restored to her when her family line is restored to her. It, it is an analogy, I think, of, of something like a resurrection. It is an analogy to, to you think of, of Sarah whose womb was barren and the Lord restores life to the, the family of Abraham when Sarah's womb is allowed to give birth to a child. Naomi has no hope and God comforts her in affliction and brings her hope. And that, that really is the third thing. Praise the Lord because He doesn't leave us without hope or without redemption. R- Ruth chapter 2, if you'll look with me, verses 19 to 20. This is after she, Ruth meets Boaz. She comes back in and it says, Her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, Where did you glean today? Remember, they're, they're both widows. They don't own property or land or have any riches. So the only way they can provide for themselves is, is by going, Ruth going out uh, and gleaning in the field. I, I think probably perhaps Naomi was too old or too weary in her body to, to be able to go out in this hot sun and do this. So Ruth has to go out and do it. it it's kind of like the equivalent in our day and age of having to make ends meet by accepting donations from food banks. You're in dire straits here. And the way that God provided for, for widows in, in the ancient uh, times of Israel is that when these guys would, would go through their field and they're, they're, they're taking their, their sights and they're slicing down uh, the, um, the wheat, if they come to the corner of the field, they're supposed to leave a little area. When I was a kid, we always had the farmer and he would pull his big machines around. Uh, oh, I need to go back to my wife, the, the mic. My wife is telling me, sorry about that. I'm, I'm used to this thing not running out of batteries. Anyways, when I was a kid, we, we had these, um, the farmer, and he would, he would pull around this, this big piece of equipment, a mower, a baler, or a whatever. And, and whenever he would come to the corners of the field, he would, he would make these turns, right? And he would always miss a little bit. He, you, you'd, You'd be harvesting corn or harvesting your um, uh, grain and, and you would turn this corner and, and invariably there was always something in the corner that got left. 
It's kind of like that. And in the ancient world, in the times of Israel, you were supposed to leave those there, not go back and take them out by hand because the widows would come along and collect them. So Ruth comes back in and Naomi says, where are you? Where were you gleaning? Because she comes in with a lot and she said, blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she, Ruth, told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. Ruth chapter 4, verse 14, the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has left you this day, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. He shall be a restorer of life. The book of Leviticus allows that if a family dies without a son, without an inheritance, someone else in the family line could step up and and marry the widow and have a child with the widow. But that child would not belong to the husband and his family line. It would not carry on his family name. It would carry on the family name of the deceased. This would allow the the family to maintain their heritage. This was a way of God saying, I am going to be gracious and preserve your line and remind you that I am always here, that I am always with you, and you are always my child. It was a way of allowing so that families would not die out. And Boaz was one of these relatives who could have stepped up and ultimately did step up and marry Ruth. And the son that they have carries on not the line of Boaz, but the line of Naomi. It bears Elimelech's name. That family line continues. If you ever have wondered why the other man, there's a, in the story of Ruth, there's another man who is a closer relative And when Ruth and Naomi ask Boaz to marry Ruth, Boaz says, there's someone who's a closer relative and and I will go and do this and ask him first. And if you ever wonder why that man doesn't step up, it's because when you entered into this relationship, your child that you would have would carry on the other line. And there was a chance, and it depends on some of how all the Old Testament laws would work and and stuff, and I I don't always understand all the details of it, but there was a chance that if you were rich before you got married, all of that riches and things that you have would get passed on not to your line, but to the line of your in-laws. And so it was a big sacrifice. It, It was an act of grace and an act of selflessness. That Boaz does this. But you see, Boaz is the one through whom God brings his grace and shows his grace to Naomi and Ruth and their family. They end and they have a baby, and it's an exciting time. The fourth lesson we need to learn from Ruth is we need to praise the Lord, when, especially when he gives us family. 
We praise the Lord for his grace. We praise the Lord for his goodness. We praise the Lord for salvation. But never forget that every gift that you have is a gift from God. I marvel at these verses in chapter 4, verse 15. He shall be to you, the ladies say, He shall be a re- to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. In the ancient world, sons were everything. To have sons meant you had a heritage. Sorry, ladies, but it's just the way that it worked in the ancient world. So to say to this woman, your daughter-in-law is worth more than seven sons. And seven sons is often, you know, seven is often a number of perfection, of completeness. I mean, they're saying, Naomi, this daughter-in-law, this Moabite woman is worth more than the best sons you could ever have. That is an amazing testimony to the character of Ruth and to the grace of God. They did not, as a community, spurn Ruth and say, oh, there's that Moabite woman. Oh, remember how she was a pagan? Here she is trying to steal our good Israelite men. Here's this Boaz, eligible bachelor. He marries one of these Moabites. They say to Naomi, she's worth more than seven sons. Value your family with that kind of value. It's a sad thing in our day and age when people look at a son and say, I wish I would have had a daughter. Or they look at a daughter and say, I wish I would have had a son. It's a sad thing in our day and age when families break down and 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 particularly one of the straining of relationships can be that between a mother and a daughter-in-law or that between a wife and her mother-in-law. And somehow, Naomi and Ruth worked together, loved each other, because the grace of God was at work in their lives. Naomi honored Ruth and did not look down upon her. Ruth honored Naomi, was a loyal daughter-in-law beyond what she had to do for her mother or her mother-in-law. We need, in our day and age, to remember that. Mothers, uh, you know, if you have a son who gets married, honor him. Honor his wife. Realize that that Scripture teaches that that the husband and, and the wife go out from the family and those two become one flesh. The, the apron strings, whether you have a son or a daughter, when they get married, as it were, the apron strings are kind of cut. If you're ever in the position where you're the in-law, mother, or you're the daughter-in-law, maybe the son-in-law, honor your mother-in-law. Honor them for how they raised your, your spouse. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes in-laws or parents want to want to meddle in your marriage, tell you don't do it this way or do it that way. Nevertheless, Scripture wants us to honor our families and praise the Lord for our families. The last thing I want you to see is that the book of Ruth is not ultimately about Ruth. It's about Jesus. 
It's about the coming of the Messiah. Look at the end of Ruth, verse 17 to 21. Then the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Notice it's a son has been born to Naomi. It's because this Obed is going to carry on the line of Naomi. Naomi has a descendant. It's not to take away anything from Ruth, but it is to highlight how much of a despair Naomi had, how much of a shame she had in walking away from God and losing all that she had and not having a heritage to pass on in the Lord and to honor the Lord with. So it highlights the grace of God. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The immediate hope at the end of the book of Ruth, in the time of the judges, when some of the judges were not good rulers at all, when the people were walking away from God, the immediate hope was there would be a king after God's own heart who would come. And God used a Moabite woman. And God used a sinful Naomi to bring about his plan and purposes for his grace. We all know that David has descendants and David has Solomon and Solomon has sons. And we all know that this eventually gets us to the line of Christ. But think about that. God uses Naomi's walking away from God to bring about the coming of Jesus. And God uses the conversion of a Moabite, a pagan, to bring about the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. God doesn't pick the most perfect people in the history of Israel and say, those will be the ones I'll bring about my promise for. He uses sinners. Other than Mary, in the book of Matthew, there are only two women that are mentioned in the line of Jesus. One is Tamar, and that's a whole other story to itself. But the other is Ruth. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Excuse me. There's Tamar and Rahab. So it's three. I, I miscounted. Rahab which was the prostitute. So there's another testimony to the grace of God. Solomon, the father of Boaz, uh, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And it goes on then to the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest gift that God has given our world, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, is mother's. Because it was through mothers that he sent his only son. It was through a mother, Mary. And along the way, God used mothers. And he used some pretty peculiar people. People that you would look at and say, why did God use them for his grace? That is the mystery of the grace of God. God uses us in spite of who we are not because of some goodness in us. As we close this morning, I hope you'll honor God. I hope you'll honor God for the mother that he's given you. 
the children that he's given you, the family that he's given you. But I hope most of all you will honor and praise God this morning for his grace. Naomi, or excuse me, Ruth was faithful to Naomi. But even more in the book of Ruth, God was faithful to his people. And God was faithful to us that when we wandered away and walked away from God in sin, God did not roll up his sleeves and say, forget it, I'm done, I'm not sending Jesus Christ. While we were sinners, God sent his son into the world and Christ died for us. While Ruth and Naomi were sinners, God sent his grace into their lives and gave them a son who gave them a grandson named David, who gave us a great, 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 whatever it is, grandson named Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence.